Welcome to the fourth Winnipeg Art Gallery podcast. I'm Leif Norman. In this episode, we travel back in time to the days leading up to the gallery's origination in 1912. With the help of the internet, I am the all-knowing internet, and the library, Hello, I am your friendly local library. And a few specialists in the history of art in Canada and early days of the city of Winnipeg. We will explain the whys and wheres and whats of the Winnipeg Art Gallery. So Winnipeg, as a city, might have had a very different future if the Transcontinental Railway had built their track where they wanted to originally. We might be talking about the Selkirk Art Gallery right now, or the Brandon Art Gallery. Why was Winnipeg such an important city at the turn of the century? And why was 1912 the year it happened? Edmonton didn't have an art gallery until 1924, and the Art Gallery of Ontario, in Toronto, did not have formal exhibitions until 1913. Vancouver's art gallery was not established until 1931, so what was going on in this prairie town that led to the WAG opening 100 years ago? Internet? Yes? Can you make me an audio equivalent of sending us and our podcast listeners back in time to 1912? How about something like this? Wow, back 100 years in 40 seconds. In 1912, Winnipeg is a major business center with many fine buildings and a population of 165,000. It is the third largest city in Canada and a gateway to all businesses to the West. There are 19 men in Winnipeg considered to be millionaires, and there is a tangible excitement in the air for Winnipeg's future. Today is Monday, December 16th, the year 1912. The time is 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and we are in a splendid-looking building on the corner of Main and Water Street, just south of the famous intersection of Portage and Main. This is the Industrial Bureau, where Winnipeg proudly displays its best of agriculture and technology and promotes business. And today, the Winnipeg Museum of Fine Arts is opening. This is what the art gallery is called back then. I mean, I mean right now. The mayor, Richard Waugh, is here, and so is the Honorable Lieutenant Governor Douglas Cameron. After speeches, the door to the gallery is symbolically unlocked by the Lieutenant Governor with a silver key, and now I can see he is handing it to the mayor... And now the mayor uh, is giving another speech where he proclaims the Museum of Fine Arts is free to all Winnipeggers and that the city will be only too glad to erect a dedicated building for the gallery once the present lease has expired. But I think we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves here. We need to go back in time a bit further to the founding of Winnipeg in 1873 so we can fully appreciate the moment. Internet, let's go back in time again, but can we do it a little quicker this time? Okay, Shazam. The library was a very useful resource for what Winnipeg was like in the earliest days. I have a lot of good information not found on the internet. Winnipeg was founded in 1873. Around this time, there are fewer than 1,000 people living in a small area around Portage and Maine, 
It looks like a pretty rough pioneer town. Canada itself is a newborn country, and in order to unify the Confederation and keep British Columbia happy, way out there on the Pacific shore, Ottawa has promised to build a railway linking central Canada with the west coast. In order to do this, a railway would have to be built right across the prairies. This was very exciting for Winnipeggers, but in 1874 they were dismayed to hear that the transcontinental railway would go through Selkirk, a much smaller town 40 kilometers to the north. This could have spelled the end of Winnipeg as we now know it, and Selkirk could have become Manitoba's largest city. But in the summer of 1881, Ottawa announced that Winnipeg would receive the rail line. Winnipeggers got very excited again, and instantly went mad buying and selling real estate, and a building frenzy occurred. Are we done with all this history yet? Have some patience, like the library. Let's go over the years leading up to 1912 really quickly. 1881, real estate boom. 1882, economic crash. 1883, the first train arrives in Winnipeg from the east. 1893, the first baseball club is organized. 1901, the first automobile arrives in Winnipeg. 1905, the Eaton's department store opens. 1908, the first gas station opens. Winnipeg at this time has 300 motor cars. From 1908 to 1912, there is another boom of activity in Winnipeg, where many of the historical buildings we now have were constructed. Let's talk to Jim Blanchard, author of the book Winnipeg, 1912, about those early days. What was going on in 1912 in Winnipeg that makes that would have made it such an exciting place to be? Well, it was um, 1912 was kind of the peak year of a of a long boom, and. Um, this between uh, 1900 and 1912, 1913 it was when uh, you know many many thousands of immigrants came to Western Canada. It was the big uh, influx of immigrants up to that time, and they all passed through Winnipeg. Winnipeg was basically the only large city on the prairies then. Later on, it was it had rivals like Regina, Saskatoon, Calgary, but in 1912, those places were still fairly small. And they weren't offering services that uh, that Winnipeg was. So Winnipeg had a number of things going for it. It was a distribution center and all the warehouses you see in the warehouse district really were warehouses. Winnipeg had been uh, established for many years. It was a banking center because the banks just opened here first. It was the first place the CPR built uh, uh, yards and uh, and uh, it was the first place people uh, started warehouse businesses. So they just had a few years on those other cities and had been growing, uh, you know, for maybe 10, 20 years before Calgary was even uh, thought of. Yeah, from 1908 to 1912, early 1913, was probably the best time we've ever had. <laughs> people made a lot of money speculating in land. You know, you'd buy, buy some lots in Calgary and six months later they'd be worth twice as much and... You know, people were really into this kind of casino investing. And in 1913, the bubble burst and lots of people in Winnipeg went bankrupt. So uh, it was a, a real kind of typical boom situation. It was a fairly small community. And, um, and there was a lot of interest in art. They wanted to have artworks hanging in their houses to prove that they were, they'd made it, you know. I next met with Tim Higgins in a noisy restaurant to discuss the significance of 1912 being the start of the WAG. Our theory is that if the WAG had not been founded in 1912, 
it would not likely have been founded until the 1920s. My name is Tim Higgins. Uh, I'm, among other things, I'm uh, an actor, singer, and uh, an author of historical books about Manitoba. Winnipeg and Manitoba generally had been in sort of a permanent boom since 1896, uh, with one little hiatus around 1907. Um, so we have 20 years of growth. I mean, you have to remember, this is a place... When Manitoba became a province in 1871, the population of Winnipeg was 200, 300, maybe a little more. It depends, it depends how far north you count. Um, by 1912, it was 130,000. I mean, this full modern city had just sort of sprung out of the prairie in, in you know, 40 years. It's quite amazing. So the bureau was basically designed, uh, I mean, the actual building, the exposition building where, where the WAG started. Uh, was designed to show everything that Manitoba could offer, manufacturing, you know, places where we could actually bring investors in, show them stuff. Um, but at the same time, you know, if we're going to be the leading city of the empire, we have to have culture too. And I think uh, that made it easier for people like Bullman and McDermott to sell the idea that in addition to all the manufacturing stuff, the important stuff that you know makes Manitoba grow, we have to show that we're becoming mature as a society as well. And I think that's kind of the impetus behind having an art gallery as well. So then if the if these uh, if the businessmen hadn't got together again with the Industrial Bureau and with the, the mayor and other support in 19, just at the end of 1912, it probably would not have occurred until much later. It wouldn't have had an opportunity. Is that right? <laughs> I'd have to agree with that. I mean, the period after... Uh, the war began. Uh, mines were really focused on other things. I mean, it's, uh, the recession started in 1913, then the war, you know, then the flu epidemic, you know, then the strike. It, it's um, uh, it would have been very, very difficult, uh, you know, until things turned around, and that didn't really start again until like 1923, uh, when the economy actually started to pick up again, you know, for a little for the, the, the Roaring Twenties until the Depression. Yeah. It, if, if they hadn't taken that opportunity in 1912, I don't think it would have happened for a long time after. One of the 1912 founders of the WAG was James McDermott, who had tried to get a gallery started earlier. Yeah, McDermott uh, uh, was an amateur artist and a collector, as well as an architect. Um, so it makes sense that he'd be interested. He actually tried, he pitched uh, building a standalone civic art gallery in 1909, uh, but... Didn't, didn't work out. It didn't fly. Didn't fly. For no, some reason. No. But, but he there, stayed at it, obviously. But there was a boom going on in 1909. You figure they would have jumped on that. Finally, let's talk to Andrew Keir about the Canadian and Winnipeg art scene in the time leading up to 1912. My name is Andrew Keir. I'm the Curator of Historical Canadian Art at the Winnipeg Art Gallery. Well, first of all, the uh, there are a couple of important things that were happening um, in Canada as it related to art. Uh, the big one is in 1880, the Royal Canadian Academy was formed in Ottawa. And um, the Royal Canadian Academy was a way of artists in this very young country. Um, it facilitated a means for them to get together uh, and share knowledge, professionalize their practice, and um, ultimately um, also bring art to other places in Canada. The Royal Canadian Academy was also the original impetus for the National Gallery of Canada. When artists were accepted as members to the Royal Canadian Academy, uh, they were required to basically donate a work. That work formed the basis of the 
National Gallery of Canada's collection. Those artists who were then members of the Royal Canadian Academy would be included in Academy shows that were shown in Ottawa and Toronto and Montreal, of course, but also throughout um, throughout Canada, you know, as, wherever they could. That was part of their mandate was to not only sort of be located and 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 based in central Canada, but to move out into the into the very into the very wide country. Right, and I'm jumping ahead a bit saying this, but that would have been the type of art. Uh, that was represented in the very first art show in the Winnipeg Art Gallery in 1912. It was a, an Academy show. That's right. In the Academy, what would have been the type of art? What would have been? It would have been paintings. Uh, what would have been the subject matter? What yeah. was the feel of the art scene at the time? It would have been largely paintings, uh, drawings, some prints. And um, the 1880s and 90s are very much known as the sort of French period of Canadian art which is to say that many of the best artists in the country or the most recognized had schooled in France, mostly in Paris, some at the École de Beaux-Arts, some at various sort of what we call ateliers, smaller studios in Paris. Uh, But they primarily, while some of them were... I'll say flirting with new styles of impression, like such as Impressionism. Um, uh, it was a, a largely, uh, the work shown uh, was academic, which is to say the artists were um, very much um, painting in a way that reflected a kind of classical tradition, high polished uh, works, not a lot of impasto, not a lot of thick paint, um, immaculately composed, uh, lots of glazing, uh, the scenes often sort of allegorical scenes. Um, Biblically allegorical? No, like folk uh, tales some, some, or... there were some folk tales, yes, uh, sort of rural scenes of peasants um, sort of in these sort of Arcadian settings, Sylvian settings. Um, these um, classical sort of allegorical nymphs and satyrs and that kind of thing. Oh, okay, yeah, Roman um, and Greek stuff. Yeah, yeah, mostly classical. Now, there, there probably were some biblical uh, references as well, uh, but it all uh, pointed to the incredible influence of uh, sort of the academic, what we could just call the academic style uh, in the late 19th century, and it incidentally was the style that artists like Edouard Manet and Monet and these imp- and these impressionist artists were reacting against. But in the 1880s and 90s, um, Canadian artists such as uh, George Reed, uh, William Brimner, um, uh, two artists who were very much uh, active within the Royal Canadian Academy and showed out here in Winnipeg in 1912, uh, were, you know, exemplify that uh, sort of Paris or that French moment in Canadian painting. Okay, so there would have been, you know, still lifes, flowers, bowls of fruit, landscapes, f- fairly straightforward types of Yes, um, there would be some still lifes, uh, but again, the, the focus would have been on genre scenes, on s- some landscapes, although they would be primarily peopled landscapes, landscapes with people in them, uh, again, paying tribute to this kind of idea of the, the, of the, um, the noble peasant or the noble rural life, um, that kind of that kind of general thing. Yeah. So this would have been the type of art where uh, well-to-do people would would go into a salon and they would look at the paintings and they would go, oh, this would look lovely in my library. Yeah, certainly the artist uh, was not seen as an avant-garde bohemian outsider in the way that uh, he or she is very often construed today and, and well, not necessarily today, but in the, in the modern era. Um, artists uh, in Canada at the time were really entering a phase where they wanted to um, 
legitimize their own practice by painting in a sort of French way, a European way, establishing connection to the old sort of these old traditions. Um, but at the same time, by the 1890s and the first decade of the 20th century, many of these same artists were beginning to think long and hard about uh, creating an art in Canada that in some way reflected Canada and not just Paris. Okay, so what was going on in Winnipeg in the art scenes locally in the late 18 or early 1900s? Right, well, as far as I can tell, the first time we see art um, exhibited in a public way in uh, the city is in and around the time that Winnipeg is, is incorporated in the early 1870s. And there were these things that, that were established um, in the city called our agricultural fairs. And uh, they were fairs that allowed local uh, growers of produce, mostly, uh, some sort of mechanical devices and, and um, sort of household wares to, to uh, exhibit these, these wares and, and people, people to buy them. Well, in the 18, early 1870s, uh, you see a section devoted to the display of fine art or paintings, drawings by artists from Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very much how what it was. Uh, you'd have turnip, rutabaga, um, plow, you know, plow <laughs> painting. <laughs> So in 1876, at one of these agricultural fairs, uh, the reviewer in the Manitoba Free Press writes, if we cannot yet produce paintings to rank those of the old masters, we can raise four pound and a half ounce potatoes and 36 pound turnips. So that gives you an idea of uh, uh, at least... What the priorities uh, were. Priorities were, and and, and certainly the impression that as as a cultural hub, as an artistic hub, Winnipeg was not quite there yet. Uh, that's what's happening in the 1870s and 1880s. Uh, in 1880, you have, uh, as far as I can tell, the establishment in Winnipeg of the first art gallery called the Pioneer Art Gallery by a guy named John Sopper. Uh, again, we're not totally clear on what he showed and what was displayed, but it, as a commercial venue, uh, that was sort of one of the first. The other thing you have happening in these decades, sort of the decade or two leading up to the um, turn of the century, is the first solo exhibition by an artist. In 1880, Lucille MacArthur uh, shows her work at the Federal Building, or what was then called the Federal Building, and um, and that and that really is the first time an artist is exhibited, uh, given a. a has a solo exhibition. Up to that point, they'd all been sort of different artists were mishmashed together. MacArthur was academically trained both in Europe and the United States. She was in the 1880s um, I, by far uh, the best, the, the, the most uh, well-trained artist in the city. She didn't stay here very long, uh, which, well, she was based here for some time, but she, she was independently wealthy and um, spent most of her time in the 1890s uh, in Europe, painting, traveling, studying. And then you have other things like uh, the formation of some artist societies, so artists getting together and um, trying to figure out how to make a go of it as a collective. And so you have in 1886 the formation of the very, very short-lived Winnipeg Art Society. Um, sort of amateur artists, um, uh, art, art collectors, it would not have just have been sort of artists, professional artists, it would have been a whole range of people. 
And uh, the Winnipeg Art Society is really the precursor of the of the Manitoba Society of Artists, which forms in 1902. And um, that's when you really get this kind of vocal uh, lobbying on the part of artist groups in the city for an art gallery. And it's not just the Manitoba Society of Artists. Uh, you have a group called the uh, Women's Association of Canada, based in Toronto in the 1890s, and they set up a, a Winnipeg branch here, and um, led by people like Mary Ewart. They're also very vocal uh, in terms of in terms of wanting to see Winnipeg um, progress and mature culturally. Winnipeg was from the get-go really a city that was based on its um, that was founded on its entrepreneurs and the people who got in government in the in the sort of provincial but also in the in the municipal government were business people, so they had a vested interest in seeing Winnipeg grow uh, economically. And one of the, and of course, as we know, um, economics isn't simply just a matter of wheat and grain and trains. It's a matter of making uh, a community that is attractive for investment, for people to come to this city and not only visit, but invest and, and stay here. So one of the things that they saw um, as important was the establishment of a, a local culture. So a gallery very naturally fit into that. So you have, on the one hand, Groups like the Manitoba Society of Artists, the Western Art Association, lobbying largely in the press, um, writing letters to the editor and sometimes columns, calling for an art gallery. You have, on the other hand, business community becoming more uh, convinced that it was important to, to establish uh, a gallery in the city to you know, establish the economic uh, ground of a kind of culture here. And uh, in terms of the business community, the four individuals that really played a key role, at least in 1911, 1912, when the gallery was established, were W.J. Bullman, who was head of the Bullman Brothers lithography firm. He was also, at the time, the president of the Canadian Manufacturers Association, so he had these wonderful ties nationally. Secondly, you had James McDermott, who was a contractor, a local contractor, an architect, himself uh, an amateur artist and actually an art collector. Uh, you had George Wilson. George Wilson was uh, sort of a businessman. We don't have a great deal of, of knowledge as to what he, uh, what specifically his business was, but he was also an amateur artist. And uh, you also had a, by, a guy by the name of uh, Charles Rowland, who really headed, uh, was sort of at that time, the head of the Winnipeg Development and Industrial Bureau. And really, he's described in one source as an all-around propagandist uh, for Winnipeg business. Uh, so those four really played an active role in establishing the gallery. And when the gallery opened formally in December of 1912, uh, they were front and center and um, uh, at, the, at the opening of the gallery. I hope you have enjoyed our trip back in time to Victorian and Edwardian Manitoba. Now it is time to return to the present, where we look forward to the next 100 years, the Winnipeg Art Gallery. <laughs>